watch movie-based video games. Think to yourself, this is kind of strange. Mario is British, Luigi's Latino, and Cuba's played by a goddamn weirdo. Well, that's video games and movie. Video games and movie. Video games and movie. Uh, yeah, you're listening to Video Games Movie. It's a podcast where we talk about, you know, movies that are based on video games. And sometimes they're not movies, sometimes they're documentaries or whatever. But I'm Blaine J, and with me is Cujo. Hey, how's it going? And, yeah, uh, it's been a while, man. Yeah, uh, it took me a while to get to this uh, movie because I've just been playing games and been busy in my free time, so... Yeah, yeah, you uh, you've got pretty big moves that happened uh, in in the interim. So I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but you know. I'm sure. I mean, I got engaged, so that was a thing that happened. So yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad, but congratulations. <laughs> I hope it's good. Oh, so I mean, having been married myself for oh, oh gosh, a decade plus now, I don't know. It's both. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things, man. But uh, yeah, legal, congrats. So. You know. I feel, I mean, I feel it's, being single's both good and bad as well, so. Oh, for sure, yeah. There's a, but, to me, it's being with one person and being happy, if it works, I mean, in theory, it's better to be with someone than alone, so. In, in theory, and, and sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're not, but yeah, you know, uh, I wouldn't trade my life for anything, and, you know, I, I hope you uh, end up the same, so. But yeah, we're uh, finally getting around to talk about a film that I remember from when I was a kid um, called Cloak and Dagger, which is, it's, it's like a video game movie, but only in like the loosest sense. It like, it's kind of like war games where video games are prevalent in the movie, but it's not actually a video game movie. I think uh, through watching this, we discovered that they were kind of made at the same time, like they adapted a game called Agent X into a video game called Cloak and Dagger to fit this film. Right, they kind of work together. It's kind of Atari kind of getting advertising for itself uh, by giving this game to the movie that had heard. And it's kind of like they work together. That's what, you know, based on internet research, I mean, it could be totally different than what we've read, but based on the Wikipedia and other websites we like kind of looked through as we were watching this, uh, it seems like there's this movie, and then Atari had this game, and it's like, oh, this will work perfect together. And so they changed the name of the game, and then they changed the name of uh, the character to Agent X. So <clears throat> kind of worked out for both of them, I guess. Right. I, and did they call him Agent X in the movie, or am I thinking of someone else? No, they called, Cause him, I kept... they called him Agent X in the beginning of the movie, I think. Oh, okay. Because I kept hearing what I thought was Jack Black, and then I read on the trivia, apparently it's Jack Flack. Yeah, Flack, Jack Flack. Yeah, I just kept hearing Black, because, you know, we all know the famous actor Jack Black, who also famously got his start with the Atari. He's in a uh, commercial for Pitfall when he was, like, eight. So, yeah. Uh, weird. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I kept thinking it was, a like, a 56 or a 7800 that they were playing on, but it may have been one of the 2600 models. I'm not like a real Atari aficionado. Like according to the it, Amazon trivia, it's a 5600. A 5600. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that is a uh, 
absolutely garbage system. It it literally like lived and died within the time span of the twenty six hundred. It would be like if the fifty two hundred. That's right. It'd be like if the Super Nintendo came out and didn't sell well, so they just kept selling the Nintendo for another six or seven years. (laughs) That's basically what happened there. Same with the seventy eight or whatever. the the 2600 which was the first released one outlived its two successors so it'd be like if the nintendo was still out selling the n64 i mean wild to think but basically atari kept releasing very slightly quotations upgraded systems um that were effectively not upgrades they were rebrand like uh, or something basically What's that? Were this basically like reskins? Like they put like a no. I mean, they had updated like memory capacity uh, or whatever, and I mean they were theoretically able to release better games on them, but they were such a minor jump that it it wasn't even noticeable really. And they were both prone, especially the fifty two, to uh, just horrible uh, failure especially the 5200 controller is notorious for just not working out of the box to the point where to this day uh, you won't find an original 5200 controller there they just were so poorly made none of them actually work and working on them is apparently not really a thing you can do either so you have to buy these third-party controllers and even those uh, fail. There is just the, the design of the system was just haphazard and stuff. They were trying to compete with the upcoming Nintendo, and then you know when the Nintendo hit it big, they uh, tried again with the seventy-eight or whatever, and neither of which were actually able to do it because Bushnell at the time kind of refused to spend the money necessary to actually compete. Right. So. We ended up with a couple of systems that they're not... I want to say the 78 might be compatible with the 2600, or there was an adapter for it or something, but uh, the 52 is a system unto itself, and it had, like, these slightly oversized cartridges. The system was big enough to, like, you know, sail to an island on. It was a a raft-looking motherfucker. The thing is huge. Um, but then again, there are some 2600s that are fucking huge too. There was so many different models of those. I own like four or five. I sent James more. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they just kept re-releasing the same stuff in a different package. Okay. So, uh, sorry if you, no, no, that was it. Um, so my only experience, uh, playing with an Atari, um, was when I was a kid, I went to like, you know, after school care or whatever, and they had an Atari. I don't know which one it was, but it was like black, and you could like stick the cassette on the top, you know, in. Yeah. It was like standing up, basically. And the controller was like a stick with a red button. Like, I don't know if you know what that is, but that's the one. Yeah, that sounds like a 26, because the 52 had like this elongated controller with like a weird knob on it that was notorious for breaking Mm. and the original 26 had like a what you would think of as like a joystick it was a square with a stick sticking up out of it and one button basically and i i remember having like 
there's like I don't know poker and basketball where the basketball is a square and like you know <laughs> you got one black stick figure one white stick figure yeah and there is nothing even Frogger was like terrible <laughs> um, yeah that's that's the whole thing about the 2600 and James and I, and I have talked about it a little bit you know I don't want to shit on it because there are guys that are slightly older than me that just absolutely love the 2600 and apparently there's people that are young too that are like really into collecting for the 2600 but there's just to me it's like there's nothing there they can hardly be uh considered video games you know because there's there's no dialogue there's very rarely any music and when there is the music is usually a five second long clip at the beginning of the game or like a death note you know like when you die at pac-man that's a famous tune things like that that just really short and again you can't really even consider them music you can't really consider them games because the gameplay is always so simplistic and usually the objective is just to get a high score which i just don't care about and it's usually repetitive gameplay, single screen type stuff. There were a few that weren't single screen games, like Pitfall, etc. But for the most part, uh, these are the most simple games you could think of. These are the type of games that, if they released on iOS, they would be free or like fifty cents or something, you know. And that's the the entirety of the library. There's nothing I've ever wanted to go back to, you know. I remember it from when I was. Little, 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 uh, we had one, and I played Frogger, and I think Pac-Man, and, you know, some others, Galaga. There was actually a game called Mega Man, I think, but had nothing to do with actual Mega Man. Hmm. What we think of as Mega Man, I think it was Mega Man or Mega Max, I don't remember. But uh, we had that and a few others, and, I mean, at the time, because I literally never played anything else, it was okay, but it was a system that, like, I would play if it was raining outside and there was, like, literal nothing else to do, nothing on TV. Like, if all it was on was, you know, televangelists, because back then I got, like, three channels. Right. Uh, yeah, I might play some Atari, but otherwise I had no desire. And it wasn't until the Nintendo that I gained an affinity for video games. And I remember when we got the Nintendo from my dad, he sent it, you know, when I was six or seven, um, we didn't immediately play it. We just put it under the bed, uh, and it sat there for over a year because I assumed it was just more Atari. And I, you know, I, yeah, I've done this. I don't really care that much. And it wasn't until a, a vacation that I got to play my cousins that I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, I'm playing Punch Out and Contra and freaking the hell out. Um, yeah, I just it, to me, it's it's like it's important historically but for something to go back to it's just like i i can't i just <laughs> there's nothing there man you know it's not like an old movie where you know you can still have fun watching silent films and i do i love the silent film era to me video games when they go back to their earliest stages uh they're just not playable but you know maybe i'm in the minority on that me and james agree but uh you know, and I've tried, and I've read, you know, guides on the best games for Atari or whatever, and uh, I've played most of them, and they're not good. So, anyway, yeah, uh, that's I, I agree a brief you. history of Atari. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that I would never want to go back to, and the only reason you did play is because, like you said, there's nothing else to do, or, like, even a book sometimes would be better. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. 
But uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, also like the like you were saying about the the music, like if it did have music, it was like annoying, like five second loop that would just like you just turn drive you insane. Yeah, you just drive, you just turn the the music off because you could not listen to that. Or like the, right. sound, the sound effects are just so jarring. You're just like ah, I gotta turn that off. Um, which may, which kind of brings me to like the next thing. It's like when you see the gameplay of this game from the movie, you're like. There's no way that's an Atari game. So technically, it's made by Atari, but it's an arcade game. And, right. And that that that's something I think is kind of lost on like the the you know this generation. Like um, back in like when we were kids, you to play the good graphics, the good games, you had to go see the arcade because it was better at the arcade. Yeah, no one could afford the computing technology to be able to support you know even close to 8-bit back in the early 80s and if you wanted to see those sort of things they existed but you either had to have a very expensive computer you know you're talking like three thousand dollars 1980s money be about six grand now uh or you went to the arcade and you plunked some quarters into a machine you know um so yeah it was a completely different experience um and it might come back in that you know, as like VR and things like that become more prevalent, maybe they'll come up with something more akin to like a holodeck and uh, your layman won't be able to buy those sort of things. And maybe arcades will come back initially, you know, for that sort of thing. And that, uh, that'd be neat to see, but, uh, you know, that's just speculation on my part. Um, but for the longest time, you know, from about, gosh, I'd say the late 90s, early 2000s to now, um, you were able to get not only an arcade experience at home, but, you know, better than a lot of the time because, uh, you know, your your system, you could get games day of release and so on and so forth, and then you were able to download them um, via the Internet and stuff like that. And it was just so much easier to play from home and, and get, a you know, a better experience. You didn't have to deal with you know, pedophiles and guys smoking and, you know, all that crap that you had to deal with. (laughs) The movie, like, it's just kind of, like, shocking looking at how things were, how kids were just, I mean, this is, like, normal in the 80s where kids could just run around, where now it'd be, like, you get child protective services called on you. (laughs) Oh, for sure, yeah. That's the one thing you and I kept talking about. You know, we, we ended up watching it at the same time, and we were talking through Discord about just, you know, what is up with these kids? They're just able to go everywhere. They got bus passes. They go to the airport at one point. They, you know, they stop by the Alamo, uh, you know, on the run. Uh, and yeah, when I was a kid, you know, it may be shocking to uh, younger listeners, but I was the exact same way. I remember being, you know, six, seven, eight years old and riding my bike all around uh, the island I lived on off the coast of Georgia. I mean, I went everywhere and you know as long as i was home by dark it didn't matter and yeah. you know sometimes i'd ride my bike literally like five miles away you know <laughs> it's just like here's this six-year-old kid and he's riding his bike you know across this island well I was, and my experience was like oh you gotta stay on this side of the road or like you gotta stay on the on the same street or like when i moved to like a neighborhood i could stay in the neighborhood but not like out of the neighborhood but then when i got a little bit older i could like ride my bike down to like you know the video like the movie uh the rental store which is maybe sure. a mile away 
So I guess it was kind of the same, but not like not like a big city. They would definitely like not let that happen. But you know where they knew they they felt safe where I wasn't nothing was gonna happen. So they didn't think anything would you know I wouldn't get taken. You know what at twelve. Yes, or, or so you you hoped. Yeah, right. and yeah. I mean, Saint Simon's the island I grew up on was. I don't want to say it was rural because it certainly wasn't. It was more of a like a tourist island, but it wasn't you know a metropolis. Uh, or close enough to like San Antonio is in this film so yeah it's a little a little strange to see but yeah, the the basic premise of the film is there's this kid and it's played by what is his name Thomas something right um, and he played Elliot in uh, E.T. and Henry there Thompson. is actually an E.T. poster in the, in the movie which is kind of funny yeah um, Henry but uh, yeah it and takes place like two years later or something or, or or rather it was filmed two years later so he's a little older but basically looks the same yeah. and he's this kid that is obsessed with like espionage spies and stuff and he plays this game with his little character i guess he's made up uh, or is part of some D type board game that they play Which named jack flack yeah jack flack and it's also like uh Dungeons and Dragons, like, yeah, roll dice to kind of, you know, win, like, I guess, uh, there's a dice roll and either you get shot or you, the shot misses you, that, that type of thing, where I thought that was a kind of interesting thing about it, but when you first, like, start the movie, it's like, it's kind of funny, like, uh, they're, they're, everything's in, like, they're talking in Russian, and there's no subtitles or anything, you're like, what the, is this the right movie? It kind of starts off kind of weird, you know, like you're a kid, if you're a kid watching this movie, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> and yeah, But it immediately gets like super goofy. Oh god, and, so bad. And yeah, it's because they're playing out in movie form this game that they're playing at a this computer shop run by the actor, director, he's still around. With a big gap in his teeth, he's been in everything. Uh, like you said, Flat Top and Dick Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. William Forsyth is his name. And yeah, he's been in like all him. kinds of stuff. He usually plays like a crooked cop or a quirky character. Yeah, I think he was a bad guy in one of the Steven Seagal movies. That's where I kind of recognize him, too. I can't remember the name. Of the, uh... I, I remember him in other childhood movies and stuff, and I can picture him, but I can't remember the movie. He's one of those guys, you know. Oh, it's like, oh, I know that guy. He was also in yeah, uh, Raising Arizona. With the, with... Oh, yeah. He was uh, opposite John Goodman as the yeah. guys that break out of prison. Right, yep. Um, but he looks yeah, so he, unrecognizable. He... Like, I didn't even know it was him. Like, he just looks like some overweight, goofy. He got bottle, like, you know, big bottle glasses on, and he just looks like some nerd. <laughs> yeah, because he's super young in this. And, and I think he was in uh, Deuce Bigelow as the cop that keeps commenting on his penis size, too. Um <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's too thin? You know, <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, he, he's strangely hanging out with like six year old kids. Uh, nothing to worry about here. Just some bearded weirdo that likes to play games with literal children. And yeah, they're playing this game and it gets played out. And then, uh, he gives them a quote unquote mission to go get him a Twinkie. Yeah. Like to his defense, he's kind of annoyed by him. He kind of is like, I'm, I guess this is what I, my life is because I'm running a, a game store. <laughs> and, yeah, it could it could be that. 
And it's like, it's not like video games like we're thinking, it's more board games, which is like, I didn't know that was a thing back then, but I guess... This is oh, like, yeah, yeah, D&D was huge in the early 80s, and then when video games became popular, you know, in the, also in the early 80s, I guess 70s, 80s for board games, um, they kind of meshed the two in a lot of commercial stores, you know, because they were all seen at that time as being children's toys, more or less, you know, for the teen and below. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty cool shop, you know, I'd definitely love to go, you know, back in time and go to that place because it just had all kinds of stuff I'd be interested in, but yeah, pretty to, neat. Uh, according to the trivia on this, uh, Amazon uh, rental I did, uh, it's a, re- it was a real shop and yeah, I believe it. And then it moved and it's still a real thing today. I guess it's in, uh, and it has like a franchise, it franchised out or whatever. And so it was like. I think because the movie got popular and then became a real thing and it still exists today. Not in the same place, but I guess it's in a mall or something somewhere, I guess, according to the trip. Well, and that's, yeah, that's another thing. It was in a mall in the film and the mall is absolutely 80s. Like, oh, I mean, it was filmed in the era, so, like, everything is authentic and you're looking around and you're seeing, you know, like, rotary phones and, you know, old, like, Commodore 64-style computers and stuff. It's pretty wild, you know, even the, the TV and... Davy's room is, you know, this old uh, knob style CRT with bunny ears on it and stuff, and it's, you know, all of 13 inches. You know, it's just crazy. You know, it brought me back. But, uh, but yeah, he's hanging out. Give him a job to go get a, him a Twinkie. You know, a mission, and the kid fills up his like little water pistol with some fake blood um, because you always got to keep your gun loaded. It's before they and they. It's before they did the orange on the end, so it looks like a real pistol. For sure. Yeah, this is an era where, you know, it was fine to make uh, toys look like realistic weaponry before they killed, like, a bunch of kids on accident. (laughs) So, good times. You know, I I remember one of my earliest memories, the sidebar, is, uh, like, riding my bike on the island and being stopped by these teenagers that uh, got out of the car with what looked like an Uzi, and I almost, like, shit my pants, and then they just, like, covered me in water and uh, laughed and jumped back in their car and drove off. Oh, hilarious guys that you just fucked with a, you know, seven-year-old kid. But, but yeah, it was absolutely terrifying because the thing looked super real, right? Right. But, uh, yeah, so he goes off to get this Twinkie and, like, on the way there meets this guy that's been shot. It's just, no, for some reason they're going to, like, the game, like, the cloak, where they make Cloak and Dagger or some video game store. Like, like, yeah, I don't know, it's weird. Like, hey, they go to this, like, downtown San Antonio building, uh, like, they ride the bus there. <laughs> and like Yeah, to get Twinkies. They're by themselves, <laughs> and it's just so, like... I don't know, just, like, the plot of this movie, like, there's so many plot holes, and it's, it's definitely made for kids that don't think, because, like, any if you try to think this through, it's like, like, we were talking, like, he's dead in the first five minutes of this, or maybe the first ten minutes of this movie. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah, because he meets this guy, you know, he goes to get the Twinkie, I guess he goes to this game store, he has to ask the receptionist where, like, the, uh, snack machines are it's like there's literally no snack machines or a food court in the goddamn mall but whatever uh so yeah him and his little female friend they who's a terrible actress by the way uh go to (laughs) get that when you're acting next to like one of the best i would say child actors of all time uh 
Henry Thomas, and then this girl is just like so wooden and like does not sound like a, what a little girl would sound like, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's really it's it, it makes it so much more obvious. And apparently, she went on to have a moderately successful career in things like the Twilight Zone, um, the Outer World, some other things in the eighties and nineties. Uh, she's like forty-seven now, but. Um, yeah, they go there, see a scientist looking to guy in a lab coat that got shot and, like, rattles off some numbers and tells him to get with the FBI and not let the bad guys have it or something, and he... He falls down the, uh, the stairway, and the obvious dummy hits the ground, no blood or anything splatters. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> the kid's movie. Yeah. Well, yeah, kid's so, movie that... Literally, like, okay, we'll get to it later, but uh, in real life, this kid would just be so traumatized. Oh, he would have been killed right then. I mean, there's no way he would have got away from these, you know, assassins trying to uh, get this, like, you find out it's top secret information, and they hit it inside of an Atari 5200 cart, and you have to get, like, a certain score to be able to uh, unlock the information, and it's like for a fighter jet or something. Yeah, it's like a... I don't know. It's like the stealth... Schematics. Fighter. Yeah, schematics of the stealth fighter shit. Yeah, so he hides it inside this Atari cart and gives it to this kid because I guess he's... I don't know. He's the only one left alive, I, I guess. I, you don't see what happened, but surely there's other people in the lab or... I don't, I don't know. Guy, or shoot him off screen and then he comes down the stairs and hands him the game and then he runs down the stairs... And they don't catch yeah, but, him somehow. And the kid drops his baseball, and he also signed his own baseball. Yeah, it's, uh, apparently, yeah, he writes his name, and, and I guess they found his phone number, but his full name's on the baseball, because that was his grenade. Yeah, and so, of course, you write your name on your grenade, because, you know, if anyone finds it, they can return it to you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's how they find him. He gets home... Uh, no one fucking believes him. His dad's like in the Air Force and is also the, the same actor, and I can't think of his name, but he's been in everything. He's another one of those actors you just saw everywhere back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, yeah, he plays both this fictional character, Jack Flack, who is like an imaginary friend for Davy that like helps him get out of trouble and stuff. You know, tells him, like, hey, you need to do this or that to get out of this situation. And his dad. Um, kind of foreshadowing the fact that his dad is his true hero, you know, or whatever, I guess. That was kind of cool when it, when it shows his dad, and you're like, oh, okay, so in his imagination, his dad is like a superhero, which I think everyone's dad is their superhero at first when they're, when they're you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that, and I, I did like that, you know. They, they went a little too campy with it toward the end, but... You know, it's still it's still a good message, and uh, I, I liked that it was there. But yeah, he uh, you know tells his dad about this game, and that there's stuff on it, and you know something secret on there. He just doesn't know what, and his dad lets him play it for a couple minutes, but then like, come on, Davy, it's all in your imagination, kind of thing. So he takes it to his pedophile friend who works at a game store, um, and this guy is like oh, let me check this out. And he opens it up, and he's like, man, this is complex. And it's literally one wire attached to a chip to another chip. It couldn't be more simple. Yeah, to us, he's now, like, but back then, it probably was like, whoa, what is that? 
Yeah, I guess, man. It just it looks it's just like a circuit board, which is basically all you have in an Atari game is like a you know an oversized circuit board that nowadays they could put all that information on a chip, you know, the size of a grain of salt yeah. and more. But um, back then, yeah, I guess. And then someone is hot wired it to have an additional chip. And that chip has something on it, but he doesn't know what. So this guy starts playing the game and uh, he does unlock it and he figures out that it's the schematics that we previously talked about. Um, unfortunately, uh, in the interim, because Davey is stupid and wrote his full name on this baseball, they show up at his house and just like start breaking through doors and like it, very much like the thriller video, they're like grabbing like without looking through windows and the cracks in the door and stuff. It's it's so hilariously bad because he's got all these, like, trained men, you know, after this, like, eight-year-old boy, and he somehow manages to get away. Yeah, my thought was uh, these these are the, uh, these criminals are worse than the wet bandits in Home Alone. Like, it's, there's not even any, like, uh, micro-machines to slip on. They just don't catch them. <laughs> like, yeah, basically. Like, he never, like, there's a couple times in the film where you think he's going to do something, like, clever. And it uh, it just doesn't really happen. Like there's a, a couple of things where you know uh, Flack talks him into doing that crossfire thing, which was like you know whatever. Right. But it, he would have been better off just like picking up the gun, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you know I don't want to go through the the whole damn movie like plot by like plot by plot because that's boring. But effectively, what happens is, like, he's on the run, and they catch his uh, little friend. They try and make a trade. He steals a video game from the video game store to try and trick him. But like I said, they put a damn sticker. Somehow they got a store sticker on the side of the Atari cartridge, despite it being inside of a sealed game case, which whatever. So now they know where to look for the pedophile guy. Uh, and he's not really a pedophile people. It's just he looks the part and he's hanging out with children. Um, so they show up right at the moment that he's unlocking the schematics, kill him, throw him in a trunk. <laughs> and, then, and then what? Davey has to find him and he like, or he hides in the back of a trunk. Wait, I don't know. Wait, we're, they, they, uh, they chase after him, right? And then they call him at home. Yeah, and they say, like, uh, we got something yours or whatever, and it's his little girlfriend. Uh, and not that they're boyfriend-girlfriend, but, you know. Oh, well, um, this is what happens. Um, they both they, they run away from those guys because they gave him the fake game. He knows it's a fake game right away because he sees a sticker on the back. And then they get on the bus, and they chase him on the bus. And then after the bus, they, like, split up and go separate ways. And she goes to the game store, and the other guy keeps chasing him. And then they get to the game store, and fi- they see, like, the... The computer got shot, so they figure he was dead. Yeah. And, yeah, he is, and when he finds the body, when he hides in that trunk of their car to, like, try and get the game back, uh, his friend is just dead in the trunk of his car, and, like, his response to that, he's like, well, they didn't have to kill him, you know? It's like, so, like, 
no, that kid's going to be breaking down in tears and, like, shitting himself. <laughs> going, what the hell am I doing this? So, you know, I have nothing invested in this. I should just let him have the schematics and go home. But now nah, this kid, like, keeps trying to fight back. Well, they're ch- they chased him through, like, this canal, and then, like, it's hilariously bad. Like, you know, they're in the middle of everyone trying to kill this kid. <laughs> and there's just, like, some really bad scenes where, like, they're on the boat. Well, first, it's too many people, then someone gets off. Uh, but, you know, they're trying to, like, sc- get closer to this kid. And uh, there's these old, this older couple that he runs to. And, of course, to, like, uh, like oh, yeah, uh, playing some game or whatever. And, um, you know, they he gets away from him. But then these guys, like, the guy yells, fire. Like, oh, my God, fire. And everyone, like, freaks out like there's a real fire. But obviously, obviously there is no fire at all. And, like, causes such... People are jumping in the damn river and shit. Yeah, it's it's such a commotion. I'm like, what the hell is... What what is this? And so he gets away because of the the distraction that their own guy caused. Um, But, uh, so that's how he gets away. And then he meets back up uh, with the girl at the game store. (laughs) Yeah, and he does... uh, This is where he first meets that old couple, too, on the boat that seem helpful at first, but then they end up being, uh, like, another set of spies that are also trying to get the schematics. Yeah, they're, they're the actual spies that they're, the other bad guys are trying to get the game cartridge to to get paid. It's, uh, yeah. it's very... Uh, it's convoluted. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. Yeah, you got the this two-fingered woman um, who's older with her husband, George, and they look absolutely senile, but apparently they're like, you know, spies i don't know man it's effectively like most of this movie is just like davy running around trying to like get away from these spies he does everything from like steal and drive a car which i thought was a pretty realistic portrayal because he's just not able to turn not able to see he keeps running into shit you know all the while jack flack his little imaginary friend is telling him you know oh, you're doing fine, or turn here, or do this. So it, it's kind of weird. Like, you're starting to feel like maybe he's kind of real, right. you know? Because he is definitely, he has the mentality of an actual adult, and Davy is very obviously a child and thinks like a child. So it's it really does feel like there is someone else there with him. And at, at one point, yeah, it, it is. We'll get to that in a second because... Uh, yeah, he gets at one point to like this. He gets that. Well, they go the, the Alamo, but yeah, he gets Alamo, that canal and then, or whatever it is. Yeah, after the canal, he finds the dead body, and then somehow he figures he finds out or hears that they're gonna do the switch at the Alamo for the game. Uh, so he goes to the Alamo and uh, tries to get the case, but of course the old couple are there. And when he goes to grab the case, like they stop, like the security guard stops him because they, they think he's trying to steal it. Then the old couple are like, "No, uh, he was just grabbing my camera case." And, yeah. And then, at, then he just gets in the car with them. Yeah, he gets in the car with them, and then he finds <laughs> out that the bad guys. And then she chloroforms his ass <laughs> and puts him in the trunk with the dead body of his buddy. Uh, which. At this point, this kid should be so traumatized that he can't move. But nope, he's fine. Everything's okay. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty wild. And, and then yeah, uh, steals the car. Yeah, the ends the, up... the bad guy leaves a key in the car because <laughs> reasons. Yeah. And then so he kicks the back seat down and gets in the car and drives away. Uh, and then crashes the car. Crashes Another the car. bad guy in a van tries to like hit him and kills himself. If he takes himself out. <laughs> actual kills himself and then Jack Flack is like take his gun take his gun he's like no I won't and then he runs off goes underneath like a bridge or overpass and, and tries to hide from the other bad guy who up to this point is like stormtrooper level of shot right. like misses all the time they're shooting at this kid everyone else they can't seem to hit the broad side of a barn and sees a mouse, and not just not a rat, like an actual mouse. Like this thing is like a little bigger than your thumb. And he like one shot, one kills this mouse in the dark, which I laughed out loud because I was like, okay, come on. And then uh, Davy runs away, and Flack tells him to like crossfire the guys. Right? He's like, try and get him in a crossfire yeah. so one will shoot the other. And he does that, and the guy with the, like, semi-automatic rifle shoots Rat Killer, and then he runs away from him, and Flack warns him it's a dead end, which is another, like, clue that, hey, this guy is real in some capacity, because how would he know that it's a dead end? And it is a dead end. And they get there, and this is the part that I was like, what the actual fuck? Right. Because yeah, now this kid's got, you know, Rat Killer's gun because he finally decided to pick up a gun. And uh, I won't, I'll I'll let you tell it. <laughs> well, he picks up the gun, and so the he there was a fake out earlier where he had the his fake gun. He got he got you know, red ink or something in the gun. He got sprayed by it. So the bad guy thinks it's the fake gun again. And he's like, "You're not gonna. Uh, what are you gonna do? Shoot me with your your red whatever." And then, you know, his imaginary friend shows up and he's like, well, you can hit the hat and it'll bounce off the hat. And the guy sees his imaginary uh, dad, not dad. (laughs) Right, as like a force ghost or something. (laughs) Yeah, and he shoots at him. Uh, Yeah. He sees, and this is. Somehow he sees, like, this is the only time that anybody sees the Jack Flack guy and shoots him. And then, so then Davy shoots the guy and kills him. <laughs> Just straight up murders a man. The, yeah, see, and my, guy, my whole yeah. thought was, oh, he's becoming visible so that when he shoots at him, it'll hit the wall, ricochet, and kill the dude. Right. Which would make fucking sense as narratively as, like, why he suddenly chooses to appear right. before this guy. But no... And at this uh, instead, point, at this point, it point, kills him. Yeah, he kills him. And at this point, the whole plot of, the, like, the driving plot of this is that the bad guys put a bomb in the girl's radio. Walkie-talkie, yeah. Walkie-talkie, and it's going to blow him, blow her up at midnight because it's a timer. For some reason, it's an hour. And this is, like, the longest hour ever. <laughs> yeah, the 11 minutes from the time he's racing to the airport. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. There's no way he could have done everything he does in that time period yeah, so but trying, uh, he kills the guy and so he's trying to get to the airport and louis anderson shows up and <laughs> he's like like a 
like, I need a ride. Sorry, kid, airport. can't give you a ride. And that's like his only line. He's like, I need 10 bucks, kid. I'm like, 10 bucks in 1984 is a lot of fucking money to, you know, it costs 10 bucks now to get a ride to the airport <laughs> on Uber. I, so. I, I do want to mention, too, though, that despite the fact that Jack Flack is a force ghost, after being shot, he dies. Oh, yeah, he dies. That, that like, his imagination's like, okay, this is, like, this is seriously fucked up now. You gotta grow up and be an adult or something, but... Uh, yeah. yeah just, somehow, even though he's a ghost and the bullets went right through him, it, like, killed him. Yeah. It shows holes in his hat and everything, and he's like, I'm sorry, kid, this, you know, and you're like, why? You know, <laughs> there's no reason for this, but yeah. It's supposed to, like, I guess cool. show that he's growing up and he doesn't need his childhood friends anymore, but we just learned that this character is more than just his imagination. Uh, he has music so, powers where he makes his imaginations real, I guess, I don't know. I don't know either. It's fucking wild. But yeah, uh, they for some reason decide to bomb the little girl because, like, that's that's like the most convoluted, just overly dramatic way to kill a six year old girl is like put a bomb in a walkie talkie to blow up at a certain time when you could just literally, you know, throw her in a river, you know, or something, a wood chipper, and just be done with it. She's not going to put up much of a fight. just wild. I mean, it's their plot narrative, but it's like, it's just so bad, you know, the, the writing on that is just, come on, you didn't think for like two seconds, but whatever, they needed a reason to have a bomb. And yeah, they end up, they all end up at the airport, uh, including the little girl and uh, Davy's dad, because he calls him after like that one dude kills himself uh, and right, says, you know, hey, I'm enduring, I think. They call, he calls him from the phone booth where, as uh, he's calling him, the guy's driving, you know, towards him in the phone booth, and he just gets out at the last second. But then his dad hears the accident happen, so then yeah, he, and he takes that, off. Uh, well, it's also uh, he's calling his dad at like eleven forty-five at night. It's like almost midnight, <laughs> and he, he's like, "Just go home, baby." And he's like, "If my parents and I was eight and I was not at home at eleven forty-five, like it'd be fucking terror, you know, like any." So that's a, that's another thing in the movie where it's like so unbelievable. It's like his parents would be so pissed uh, if he was out that late. So they would initially think something was wrong. And then, as you uh, alluded to, or as you mentioned earlier, like the uh, parents of these two kids that are like our friends just meet for the first time. Like, hey, I'm Davy's dad. <laughs> and as he's, it's like they hang out every day that you've never met, you know? Yeah. They literally, the same, they, they literally they live like, in the same building, too. Like, they don't ever see each other. Like, she lives, like, next door. Like, she goes to the gate over from him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this movie is hilariously bad. Surmise that they, those two are going to get together. You know, mom, he's not your type, you know, before they meet and stuff. And it's just like, man, I won't let my daughter anywhere close to someone's house unless I know their parents on a first-name basis. Right, yeah. You know, I've got to know them for a while. Uh, but now, the 80s, I guess, man, just different time. I don't know. But, yeah, they, they meet up, and then they, you know, he meets up with uh, the mom, and she says, you know, her daughter went to the airport or something. Because that's what you do at 11.45 at night when you're fucking six. You just take a bus to the damn airport. And the little girl's trying to convince, like, the airport security that there's um, bad guys that are trying to steal government, you know, uh, documents boarding the plane. And for some reason, they're actually interviewing this little girl and, like, giving her 
any kind of credence at all. And during all this, you know, Davy shows up along with like the old folks that are boarding the plane to get out, like back to Russia, I guess. And he tricks them by saying, uh, it's his mom and dad. He's like, that's my mom and dad. And they're trying to leave me or whatever. And it's like this couple in like their seventies and they're like, we're way too old to be his kid. And, Davey's like, yeah, well, they got one of my video game cartridges. I can prove it. They got one of my video game cartridges in the bag. It's Cloak and Dagger. Uh, this old lady only has two hands or fingers on one hand. It's, you know, when I know that otherwise, whatever. But uh, he's like, let me see the bag. And they're like, no. And ends up. Well, that's when uh, that's when the, 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 the girl comes out of the, of the room and you know, it causes a distraction and the, the old guy goes for the gun and gets the gun from the cop. This 80 year old guy gets the gun. From yeah. The cop. <laughs> Which, okay. And then he's got Davy at gunpoint and he, and the little girl grabbed her up too. And they're like, uh, we're leaving, you know, or whatever. And, uh, Davy's dad shows up right at that moment. And, he just takes like the airline cap off the guy, and he's like, "I'll fly this plane or whatever." <laughs> he's, they're like, "All right, do it. Uh, you're wearing the uniform. We trust you." And so, you know, he boards this yeah, multi-million-dollar how... 747 <laughs> and uh, pretends to be the pilot. And through a, a series of chicanery, uh, you know, Davy's in the back of the plane trying to disarm a fucking bomb in the walkie-talkie. Uh, the little girl's not on the plane. I guess he's just got the walkie-talkie. Not sure how that happened. Now that I think about it, he grabbed it from her when the, she came out of the room, and oh, okay. he's gonna try to throw it out the uh, the door. And then the old couple <laughs> grabbed him as a hostage. Remember? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's just. I guess it's good he didn't throw it out the door because that bomb <laughs> is in fucking incredible. I mean, granted, it blows up on a plane which has you know tons of jet fuel. But still, man, uh, yeah, he can't defuse the bomb. And then Davy's dad is like saying, "Hey, I've got to make sure the kid is okay, or they won't let me take off." So the old lady goes to get Davy and's like, "Hey, you need to come up front." And he's like, "Okay, but I only have like fifty seconds left on this bomb." And she's like, "What? What? What?" And you know, <laughs> there's like some action sequence, I guess you would call it, between Davy and the kid, where the dad like st- suddenly stops the plane from taxiing for a second. Or no, he puts it into taxi so that uh, Davy can get away from the old man. And then the frantically old woman is calling for her husband George to come over. He tries to defuse the bomb, can't do it. And then they open up the uh, the window in the cockpit and he throws Davy out while taxiing like 30 miles an hour down the fucking runway, yeah, which he would immediately go underneath the wheel and die. Uh, but whatever. And he almost did. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it literally like put my heart in my throat because the shot they used, it looked like, you know, young Thomas was going to die. Uh, cause he, he looked like he was very close to those wheels. Right. But, uh, yeah, so he, you know, his dad's like, oh, run away when you hit the ground. It's like, yeah, if my legs aren't fucking broke, I guess I'll do that. But, uh, and then, you know, you see the plane taxi off into the darkness, and then just the biggest fucking explosion. I was like, whoa, this is just, it just keeps going, too. It's just like this yeah. explosion that just keeps billowing and getting bigger, and it's just incredible. 
and uh, through the explosion, you see what you first think is, uh, you know, Jack Flack walking towards him. And it, of course, is Davy's dad. I think he calls out, Jack? And he's like, no, it's me. And he's like, something like, I don't, I don't need him anymore, Dad. You're my hero now, or some bullshit like that. And that's the credits roll. Jack anymore I got you you're a real hero oh, something like stupid like that it's yeah it's cheesy um but cute you know I, I like the theme of that but overall you know I, I want to bag on the movie because it's definitely not like a quotations good movie but it was it was done pretty well overall it had a pretty good budget I liked seeing all the like 80s stuff you know it's not like where you watch stranger things and they're trying to reenact stuff this is just of the period so everything you see is legit and it looks legit you know it's not like a 20 year old or 30 year old computer that they had to either reconstruct or are actually using something that's 30 this is all of the era and everything all the cars is of the air, very nostalgic, you know, the outfits, everything. Um, I liked all that. I liked all the, the Atari posters and stuff. Like I said, there's a pole position poster in Davy's room that's got to be worth a thousand dollars. Um, <laughs> and then, stuff like that is worth the mint. Yeah, I mean, this movie is like one of those that's like so, so many plot holes and the, the story doesn't make sense and nothing would ever happen like this. It's like so outrageously like. Not, it could never happen, and it makes it like not bad. Because if they were trying to make it like serious, this would never work. But it's a kids. It's a, supposed to be a kids movie, so you know if I was you know this came out like the year I was born. So you know when this came out, movie like a video. If I will watch this as an eight year old or something, I would think this would be a good movie. But yeah, and I didn't hate it now. Like I, yeah. I genuinely think like this is something you could watch with your kid. And they're going to drive, like, my daughter came in for a while, and she watched about 30 minutes of it. She recognized Elliot from E.T., and, you know, she had a pretty good time. We ate a pizza while watching it, and, uh, yeah, I I actually recommend this film. Like, it's not like Joysticks in that oh, yeah. I, like, I like Joysticks because it was, like, so fucking bad. It was, like, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's cringe. And, yeah, that's cringe bad. Yeah, but it was it was so over the top bad that I loved it. Like it's not something I'm going to go watch again. But I had a great time watching that because the whole time I'm just going, "Oh my god, what are they doing? This can't possibly be worse." This had you know a, a plot and it had relatively good acting all around. Uh, the six year old girl, notwithstanding, uh, actors you recognize and uh, a pretty decent budget, and it was filmed well, too. You know, there's no, like, bad camera angles or anything like yeah, that for the yeah, most yeah. part. Everything was uh, pretty pretty well done, you know, and uh, I, I enjoyed it throughout. You know, I, was, I never felt like I was bored, like sometimes with joysticks and other such films. You know, I'll end up on my phone talking to people or doing whatever. The only person I was talking to was, was you and my daughter a little bit, but you about the movie we were watching. So I had a good time. You know, I ended up uh, winning it on Amazon myself just because this is on YouTube for free, um, but you have to watch it in parts. And I didn't want to, like, keep dealing with that, you know, because sometimes it'll skip to the wrong part or whatever. So I was just like, you know, four bucks, I'll just do that. And well worth it to me. Um, it was worth it. Recommend it to anyone listening, really. And it. It's very, uh, I think Henry Thomas as a kid actor, like, he really is one of the best of all time. Like, 
E.T., this, anything you kind of see him in as this age, like, it just blows me away how good he is. He just seems so natural and, like, he's so realistic as a kid. Like it. Well, what's, what's crazy about that is I agree with you. He, you know, he was an incredible child actor, but when you see him in current-day films, like, he was in Suicide Kings, which is one of my favorite films, and he is so bad in that movie. There's a scene where he's going, like, crying, going, no, no, it can't be, or something. And it is, like, the most cringeworthy, just fake, over-the-top, like, uh, I don't know. It's, it, it reminded me of that scene from Seven with Brad Pitt before he learned to act. Uh, what's in the box? You know, it's right, that yeah. same over-the-top, like, no one acts like that. You know, he, he freaking out, yes, but not, you know, it just doesn't. Uh, understand that kind of pain so he was unable to reenact it you know right, right, right. Um, but as a kid he was amazing you know he was like so much better than a lot of his uh, contemporaries who were adults <clears throat> but as an adult you know in the cast of again like Suicide Kings he's surrounded by such tremendous acting quality you know everyone else in that movie you know Sean Patrick Flannery, Jay Moore uh Gosh, uh, Chris, uh, Christopher Walken, uh, Dennis Leary, just an all-star cast all around, uh, just out-acts his ass um, to the point where he is almost laughable. Every time he's on screen, I'm just like, okay, just stop. You know, so, like, I don't know what, what it is. Like, McCoy Culkin's another fine example where, like, as an adult, I just can't take him seriously somehow. I don't know. This, like, if you think about this, though, like, E.T. in this movie, he carries the whole movie. Like, he is basically on screen the whole time. And, like, to put that that much money, like, into a kid like that, that's, like, that's scary unless unless he's really, really good. And he had, like, be that good to carry at least two movies. I don't, he's probably in a few more that I don't even know about, but. Oh yeah, he was he was huge in the like when I was a little baby and before you were born. Yeah. Right. That was like his heyday. Right. And you know, it's much like Colkin and others that come and go, like they'll do a buttload of movies in like a seven year period and then you never see him again. Well, it's like Fred Savage good. Like, he was a great kid actor, too. So and then he became an adult, and he wasn't as good. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fred Savage now is... He's, he's kind of unique in that, like, when I see him on film, he's terrible. But, like, I, I heard him on Comedy Bang Bang, and he is one of the funniest uh, comedic actors hmm. as far as unscripted stuff I've ever heard. He was... I, I couldn't believe how quick he was. Hmm. Uh, just every, every time, like, he quipped at something, I was laughing my fucking ass off, so, I don't know, and Culkin, too, is real quick-witted, so, I don't know if it's just, like, us remembering them as children that causes their acting to seem off or something, I don't know, but there's something to that, for sure, because it's very rare for a child actor, like, at least a famous child actor, to transcend into uh, like adult stardom, like you can do it, but usually you're like a, a bit role. You're not like one of these huge child actors. If you like made it big as a kid, you're probably gonna fall off as an adult. If you were like kind of well known, say Drew Barrymore did a couple of things, but she wasn't a household name till the '90s. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Right, Drew Barrymore. Um, who I was thinking of, who made it big, who was also in ET. 
Yeah, and Firestarter, which is being remade. I mean, I guess maybe she's a poor example, because she was kind of popular even when she was a little, little, but regardless, uh, I think my point stands. But yeah, overall, man, I, I feel like this was a pretty good film. I recommend it to anyone. Uh, you know, it it counts as a video game movie, I guess. I'm going to count it. It gets listed on all the lists. Uh, you know, it's not really... I don't know. I guess, I guess they made them at the same time, and it's got a lot of video game themes throughout, so we're going to count it. Okay, count works for me. So, I guess I picked uh, this one. It actually ended up being good, despite all my efforts. <laughs> um, so, you, what's your pick? Uh, I think I want to watch Uncharted. Alright, yeah. Yeah, I was wanting to watch that anyway. I'm, uh, I'm interested, because I love Tom Holland, or not Tom Holland, uh, Holland. God, what's his... Tom Holland. Is it Tom Holland? Yeah, Spider-Man. Jeez. Okay, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking Tom Holland was... Never mind. Yeah, it's Tom Holland. Yeah, I, I love him. I don't see him in the role as Nathan Drake, which, you know, I, I heard that originally he wasn't. It was supposed to be uh, Wahlberg cast as Drake, and then he, like, aged out. Yeah, and it was supposed to be... Though. Wahlberg as Drake and De Niro as Sully, which... Would have made perfect sense, and I could have totally bought. Uh, with Wahlberg as Sully, doesn't make much sense. Holland as Nathan Drake doesn't make much sense. So I'm kind of eager to see how well they pull that off. And also, like, I've heard that a lot of the things that are, like, great in the game, when you see it in film, you're like, oh, come on, like, them running up crates as they're falling out of a plane, so on and so forth. It's just like, yeah, Right. right. Makes for a good video game, makes for terrible film. So maybe you'll you'll pick one that you expect to be good that's actually bad. Well, I don't know. I, I kind of am on the fence. Uh, might be good, might not be. Like, who knows? So I've yet to see anything Tom Holland in that I absolutely hated. So all right, yeah. So all right, cool. Uh, you know all the usual stuff. Listen to Kujo over there at the RPG show. I'm sure you already are. I've got a little show on the uh, Retro RPG podcast called "Is It Worth It." We're going to be coming out with a new episode very soon uh, over Lunar, the Silver Star. Uh, that should be a very good episode, and yeah, all the normal stuff. You can reach us via either the RPG show on um, <clears throat> Facebook uh, online or Facebook or Twitter, or any number of places, be be sure to join the Discord, uh, where you can talk about things from this show, things from past shows we've done, uh, my show, the RPG show, we just kind of lump everything together in that one Discord, and you can find links to that at therpgshow.com. Um, yeah, get in there and talk, we need some new blood. Yep. Anyway, maybe uh, the next one will be a good one. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Later. Bye. Yeah.